everyone in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, February 1st, and I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar evening of solutions for a new Alberta brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. Our purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. Of course, we couldn't do any of this without your help. And if this is your first time watching, welcome. And I hope you find this information engaging and wanting to find out more. And if you're a regular APP webinar viewer, thank you for your support. We couldn't do this without you. APP is member driven with a goal of a million plus members to help steer the political process. APP memberships are one year for $20, two years for $30 and three years for $40. And you can find out more at albertaprosperityproject.com. Well, tonight's webinar has the best title I could possibly even come up with. It's, what the hell is going on? Actually, it's a title of a book by our guest, and his name is Donna Lee. Donna Lee. And actually, the true title of the book is, what the hell is going on? The web of fraud that is enslaving everyone and how we can escape to freedom. And this is a live webinar, so we encourage you to ask questions and make comments throughout this presentation. So at this time, I'd like to bring Donald on. Hello, Donald. How are you? Hi. Hello to everybody. Excellent. So who is Donald Lee? Well, he's an eclectic spiritual author and speaker, musician, band director, economist, businessman, and much more. His spiritual work aims to bring spirit, bring spirit into materiality, to help people be in the world but not of the world to guide people along their individual spiritual journey back to God, and in the process, to live our physical life to the fullest. Again, welcome, Donald. So, interesting, we uh, we usually just kind of talk a little bit before the show just to kind of say what questions we were going to do, and of course, we were both busy, so we decided to talk a little bit yesterday, which kind of fit into our schedules even more, and I think we easily could have talked for an hour or two yesterday. <laughs> So we really had to just say, nope, you know what, we're stopping because we want to save all this stuff for the, uh, the webinar. So let me, uh, let me ask you, uh, first of all, um, you're an author. Yes, and and right. you've come up with this book. So <laughs> tell, tell us your journey on how to become an author, because I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to be an author, you start writing. Yeah, I guess that's the easiest way to do it. That's, about, well, about that's, stuff that's you know. That's the only way, Carrie. That's the only way. You know, people I should write people this often down. ask that. And yeah. you know, I'm I'm new at being an author too. I count this as my my third career. Yeah. I spent almost two decades in the fertilizer industry in Western Canada. M many of our listeners will know the name Sherrett Fertilizers, which then oh, became yeah. Agrium and now it's merged. It, it keeps changing. But anyway, it was Sherrett yeah. Fertilizers for most of the time that I I worked with it. Uh, with the company and, and in the fertilizer industry. And then in 1999, I got laid off and went back to my first love, which is music. Mm -hmm. And awesome. uh, went back to university, did a second degree in education. My first degree is in economics, uh, became a band director. And so then I spent almost two decades as a band director and, and a teacher mm -hmm. um, in, in Alberta. And also um, I spent four years teaching overseas, two years in Kuwait, two years in Pakistan. And so that's kind of, that's my history. Then so in, in uh, 2019, I officially retired uh, from teaching yeah. and became, became an author. And, and I had my first book, 
I had started writing down some of these uh, events that we sometimes call teachable moments in school. You know, when when something happens in the classroom or somewhere and you think, uh, you know, kids, there's actually a more important lesson happening right now than the one I had planned. And so I started writing some of those little incidents down and drawing a spiritual lesson out of them. And so it's kind of like uh, chicken soup for the soul uh, oh, yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. Each one's about three pages and uh, they're easy to like read one before you go to, to the bed. So start, each one starts with a little story, which as the Hollywood movies say is an inspired by real events. Mm -hmm. And then there's a reflection section that draws a spiritual lesson out of the events of, of the story. So there's, it's, it's called the band director's lessons about life. And there's 50 little parables. Um, and I started writing those down. So th that was my first book and that's how I became an author. So if you want to become an author, um, start writing. And that's what every author says. You know, I went to, you know, some workshops and stuff for authors and that sort of thing and took some online courses. And, and yeah, you're, you know, you're going into a new business, a new industry. It's a career change. So naturally, yeah. you know, you need to, to make some effort to learn that industry and that business mm -hmm. and how it works and what you do and all that kind of stuff. But the essential thing about being an author is you have to write and yes. you try to write every day, but you're right as you're inspired to write and you write what you're inspired to write and etc. That's so that's how you begin. Perfect. Just like writing music. Yeah. I was, I was just about to add, and that applies to music too. Then, Absolutely. so, so that's what it is to be an author, but, uh, to be a good writer, well, there's a lot more involved than that. Lots of people are lousy writers, and, and yeah. usually your writing starts out being lousy. That's yeah. why that's why you go through multiple drafts. Yeah. Well, and, and so obviously we're we're here to talk about uh, what the hell is going on, which is uh, is a great book. It's it's a it's a thorough book. It's a long book. It definitely makes you think, uh, and and there are certain certain paragraphs for sure you almost have to read twice in order to figure out exactly what what the hell is going on right and uh but the uh the the point i think is you you really relay this to patterns and um and and that to me that makes perfect sense because we're looking at everything that's going on and everything that's going on separately is like that doesn't make any sense this doesn't make any sense but we're told to do this or whatever but when you look at it from this big global whatever, and we look at it in terms of patterns, then we start to see that something really is going on and we all have to be astute to, to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So then maybe that's where we should start here is, uh, is so how did you even come up with uh, figuring out these patterns? Because I mean, there's, like I could probably write stuff down and go, yeah, this is it. But to connect the dots, I think that is the big thing. Well, you know, when I wrote the first draft in, in the beginning part of, of 2021, yeah. and I hadn't yet caught on that, that that's what I was doing and that's what I needed to do explicitly. So, yeah. you know, as, as I kept researching and writing, because in, in, let me go back just a year, right? Yeah. I, I, I published my first book the the book of modern day parables uh, with the band director's lessons about life in december of 2019 little yeah. did i know or anybody else what you know great thing was just starting in december of 2019 yeah, right. so in in january and february i had traveled around alberta a little bit and did some meetings and some book launch events and i i'm i've been a band director nobody knows me i'm not famous i don't have a big online presence so you know i, I can't just kind of 
put it out there on the internet somewhere. Hey, Donald Lee he wrote this book. You know, nobody cares. Nobody hears about it. But as long as I could go around and actually talk to people and have a chance to promote the book personally, then I could sell a few books. Yeah. So at the beginning of March 2020, I was just in the process of planning across Canada, uh, you know, a book selling tour. Yeah. And the whole world shut down. Uh-huh. Bookstores closed. Every store closed. Yeah. Meetings were canceled. You couldn't have a meeting with more than six people. I had booked myself in to speak at a couple of conferences in 2020 because yeah. uh, one of my top goals for 2020 was to uh, to start getting paid as a public speaker. Well, all the conferences were canceled. Yes, they were. And so that's when I started asking yeah. the question that became the title of the book. As so many people have been asking, like, what? This doesn't make sense. What the hell's going on? Yeah. And 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 as I, I started, re- so I started researching, like, What's really going on? This story we are given doesn't make sense. It can't be true. So, and and so I started researching and writing and researching and writing. And at some point in that process, working on the book, I realized that that this is the key. There's Mm -hmm. patterns in these events. And and I I tell the little little story in the book that to illustrate it, it's um it's like you know doctors tell jokes about patients who diagnose themselves. And I remember, it's funny how these little vignettes of things from decades ago stick in your memory. But, you know, what your wife told you to pick up at the grocery store 10 minutes ago, it's just, it's gone. I, I don't know why your memories, I don't know why our minds work like that. But a little, this little vignette from decades ago um, in a TV sitcom sticks in my mind. And the scene is a doctor's office. And, uh, the you know, the patient is waxing eloquent with his self-diagnosis, telling the doctor exactly what's wrong with them and what, you know, all the rest. And the doctor's kind of half listening and half looking at an x-ray photograph in his hand. And when the patient pauses to take a breath, the doctor says, hey, you're pretty knowledgeable. What do you think of this x-ray? And he hands him the x-ray. And the patient looks at it for a couple seconds and he says, that's a compound fracture of the tibia. Yeah. And the doctor (laughs) says, oh, really? Actually, it's a perfectly healthy set of lungs. <laughs> not even the, close to the body part. No, <laughs> yeah, not even close. And so you think, well, how could anybody mistake lungs for legs, right? Well, but we know that an x-ray photograph is an image in shades of light and dark. Yeah. Well, obviously the patient wasn't familiar with that pattern. Mm-hmm. If he were taught the pattern of lungs, Right, that's what radiologists are taught. Right, that's why they're specialists, and yeah. they can tell healthy lungs from sick lungs, and and it, whether it's a pulmonary, uh, whatever. Right, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah. so, but the but the rest of us, like we don't know, we're not taught those patterns, and so when we see it, we don't recognize it. So yeah. he didn't he didn't recognize that pattern, and the same thing is happening in the world. It's a beautiful metaphor for what's happening in the world because all of us are looking at these events in the world. Mm-hmm. But we don't, we haven't been taught the patterns of what we're seeing. So yeah. we don't recognize. We think it's either random or we think it's something it's not. We're looking at legs and we think we're seeing lungs. And mm-hmm. then, of course, then, of course, we have, you know, other people, the mainstream media and everybody else telling us, oh, these are legs. Yeah. Right? And so we say, oh, okay, they're legs, right? The experts say they're legs. Yeah. So, you know, we're intentionally, so that's why important. So in the book, I go over these important patterns that we're seeing over and over. And as as um, I say in the subtitle, it's a web of fraud. So what's the pattern of fraud? That's a very important one. So I explain the pattern of fraud and, and show yeah. what we can learn from that. The yeah. pattern of 
communist subversion. We have a famous uh, KGB defector back in the 70s, Yuri Bezmenov, who wrote a whole book about this is the KGB operating manual. Basically, this is how we do it. This is how we subvert countries and turn them to uh, to communism. And so, but nobody's taught that, right? What we're all taught in school about communism, it's it's the propaganda brochure about communism. Mm -hmm. It's not really what communism is or how it works. So we think, oh, it's an alternative economic system. No, it's none of that. Uh, So, you know, so I, I show these patterns and psychological warfare. How many people know the techniques and patterns of psychological warfare. That's not the stuff we're taught. That's not the stuff we learn. So when we see it happening all around us, we don't recognize it. And in this key phrase that Yuri Bezmenov repeats, and I repeat throughout the book too, he said he calls it active measures, what what they did to subvert other countries. Mm -hmm. He says, the purpose of active measures is to distort your perception of reality to such an extent that you don't see the subversion going on all around you despite ample evidence. And even if you see it, you don't realize it's planned. Mm -hmm. And so when we see stuff going on around us, you know, we think, oh, our leaders are idiots. How often have you heard that in the last three years? Yeah, all the time. These people are idiots. These people are idiots. No. It's not the pattern of stupidity. It's not the pattern of mistakes. These are different patterns. What we're seeing is a pattern of lies. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a pattern of communist subversion. We're seeing a pattern of psychological warfare. These are the patterns we're seeing. And so I I explain those in the book and show, okay, this is what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that and it's it's great the way it's all laid out and uh, and you know I've I've written down a couple of notes and, and it's you know again there's so many different things to talk about in terms of how these patterns are so you know we're, we're talking about uh, a climate emergency and we're talking about a virus and we're talking about terror in terms of uh, policing and what's going on in the world and uh, you know basically make people shell shock stay at home talking about different types of currency, uh, the sustainable development, farming and all that. And and all together, they all look like they're all completely unrelated, but yet, you know, because this all started for us, most people anyways, as being a virus, right? And then it's like, so from that, it's spun off to different things. And now we're all at different stages of actually seeing what is actually going on with this. So your book is great because it ties in a lot of things and it's, it's great for people who maybe, you know, well, how does this actually all work together? And, and you lay it out so well. Thank Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I say it's connecting dots, connecting dots. Perfect. I'm connecting dots between things that don't seem to be connected. How many people are connecting this, this climate fraud and it is a fraud. Yeah. Okay, it's 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 not a hoax. A hoax is something different. Yeah. It's not a mistake. It doesn't fit the pattern of mistakes. Yeah. Scientific mistakes don't go on for 40 years and get worse and worse and worse. I've been yeah. watching this and some of us have for 40 years. It's a fraud yeah. and it's planned yeah. and there's a purpose to it. And all of these frauds, the main purpose is collecting power. And we've seen that, right? Like now, just in, in the news today, it was... Oh, like now they're talking about nitrogen. 
Well, it's eighty percent of our atmosphere. Like it's an inert gas, right? Yeah. Nitrogen is is not a pollutant. Nitrogen is not destroying the climate. They and I haven't even seen any, even a pretense of science behind this, mm-hmm. right? With with carbon dioxide, they at least they had a big pretense of science and they corrupted science and then somehow it morphed from carbon dioxide to carbon. Well, for goodness sakes, we learn in junior high school carbon dioxide and carbon are completely different things. Yeah, yeah. Like so. Like, and we even had our climate Barbie, um, you know, federal uh, minister of the environment who apparently had a science degree talking mm-hmm. about carbon pollution. Yeah, this is impossible. This is an impossible oxymoron. There yeah. can be no such thing as carbon pollution. Pollution, by definition, is something that that is is uh, dangerous to life, is destructive to life. Mm-hmm. Carbon is life on yeah. this planet. Yeah. We even have a whole branch of chemistry devoted to carbon chemistry that we call organic chemistry That's because right. every living thing is a carbon uh, a carbon unit. Yeah. It's yeah. not possible that there's such a thing as carbon uh, pollution. And now nitrogen? Yeah. Like it's crazy. Now, people with a, who are listening with a, a farming background probably understand as is you know I did with a fertilizer background that there's a nitrogen cycle in the biosphere similar to where we have a carbon cycle in the biosphere. So, so in they say, oh, it's, it's nitrous oxides and stuff. No, they're an essential part of the nitrogen cycle. And nitrogen is an essential component of proteins. Nitrogen is in every amino acid and amino acids are used to build proteins. So all proteins contain nitrogen. Like if you try to restrict nitrogen, you restrict amino acids, you restrict a protein, yeah. plant proteins, animal proteins. This yeah. is this is dangerous to life, all yeah. life on this planet. So like it's right. it's absolutely bizarre nonsense yeah. until you realize, no, it's not bizarre nonsense. It's a fraud and its intention is to now take control of agriculture. Mm-hmm. take control of food production yep. so oh and we're seeing them they're trying to take control of food production in other ways so all of these frauds fit together they're going to control energy through the through the the climate fraud and now they're going to control food production partly through the climate fraud they're you know they're going to control everybody's money through the currency and financial fraud that's going on I explain that and right so all of these frauds fit together they're all like each one is like a noose around the neck of humanity. And if we allow these nooses to all tighten, there will yeah. be no escape. We yeah. will be in, in, a, in a, a, we will be in a slavery system yeah. more drastic and, and, and powerful than any slave system that has ever existed on the earth before. It's, it's scary. But anyway, I think most of our listeners have figured out most of this stuff. I think so. And, and I think they're, they're smart enough to know they can't just get isolate one part and then just work on that because the way it's set up is is they're working on this one particular thing but then they're still coming at you with all this other stuff so it is interesting on on uh you know i I guess we don't want to jump to the punchline of your book in terms of uh really what do we do about this but i mean it does kind of make sense because again with with our, our our viewers we're we're pretty astute in terms of what is going on so you uh you know you're talking about i'm kind of going through some of the notes here that i wrote down and and my apologies if i'm kind of just um i want to kind of stick to a bit of a script this way because otherwise we're we're just going to open up this can of worms not that that's a bad thing either right um 
but you know, there's there's the patterns of uh, ideology, uh, ideology, and uh, of course, we've heard the mass formation psychosis and that sort of stuff in terms of why why certain people are romanced by. Or I'm probably not a good word for that, but basically brought into where where they you know the 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 the, the powers be want us to think, and then there's certain people like us that say, well, I'm, I'm really skeptical about that. And, and so like, how do you even, how do you even, um, uh, how do you even present that idea to anybody? Well, and, yeah, yeah. Let, let's, let, let, let's go there. It does take yeah. some time, but, but it's really, really important. Yeah. And when I first heard Matthias Desmet, and many yeah. people have heard that name and have yeah. heard about a mass formation now, yeah. when I first heard him in a podcast, it was September of 20. 21 actually yeah, that was probably and, the same time and yeah. that that connected a lot of dots for me mm -hmm. uh because and so so what he says is that mass formation and this he's a just for listeners who might not know matthias desmond is a professor of psychology at the university of ghent in belgium and his area of specialization is this group psychological phenomenon known as mass formation which was new to me yeah. It's also called, goes by a couple of names. Another name is crowd formation mm -hmm. because it, it stems from the analysis of crowd behavior. And all of us have experienced this somewhat being in some kind of a crowd. For example, like a group of boys will do things that none of the boys would ever have done individually. Mm -hmm. And and you were probably a really goody two shoes growing up, Carrie, but I know I did I did things with other guys in my neighborhood yeah. that even at the time I thought, well, why did I do that? Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I I would never have done that on my own, but you get a bunch yeah. of a bunch of boys together and you go and you do stupid destructive things that and so you know, why is it that we behave differently when we're in a crowd or a group like that? Yeah. So there's a whole field of psychological research. And I'm not a psychologist, but it was fascinating for me to learn. Yeah. So what Matthias Desmond explains is that, and, and there's there's uh, several conditions in a society which must be met before mass formation can occur, but I won't go into all of them. The, perhaps uh, one of the most important is what he calls, there must exist a lot of free floating anxiety. Mm -hmm. People are feeling anxious about things, but they don't really know why. They can't put a real... Um, uh, their finger on the cause of it. And let me give our listeners just a little bit of an example. I don't include this in the book, but in my last few years of teaching, like our administrators, the principal, vice principals would often remind us teachers and staff meetings and stuff, you know, go, you know take it easy on the kids, you know, uh, be patient with them. They're, 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 they're so anxious. And I, I would think, why? Yeah. Like, why? Well, why is there so much anxiety? These these kids aren't doing half of the stuff I was doing when I was in high school and junior high school. Man, I was busy. Yeah, I did all kinds of stuff. And and these kids, do, they do half of that. They sit around, play video games, and watch you know watch TV half the time. They can't even get them to do homework or practice practice their musical instruments or stuff. And and so I thought I couldn't figure this out. But later. I, I came to the realization, no, it's it's all this screen time that's actually causing a lot of this anxiety and stress in kids these days. If they if the parents were to take their cell phones away, they'd be a lot less stress amongst teenagers. But anyway, so we have this today. We have a lot of free floating anxiety and it's happened many, many times in the past. So 
that has to exist. Then, if an authority figure comes along and presents a story, a narrative that explains a cause for this free-floating anxiety, and then people are able to focus on this what's called this object of anxiety mm -hmm. and this is very psychologically satisfying and and the people are then able to engage in in the in a noble struggle against this object of anxiety they come together mm -hmm. in the in in the uh, kind of a and create a social bond that, and what they do actually creates what he calls a kind of a mental intoxication mm -hmm. and then if this leader is able to then also propose a course of action that people can take to battle against or fight against this object of anxiety, then, then they do that and they're led to do this. Now, this it traditionally, or I should say more in historical cases, this object of anxiety has been things like the Jews, mm -hmm. the aristocracy, yeah. right? The, the, uh, the, um, the bourgeoisie. Mm -hmm. Now, I've, I've added a little bit of spiritual understanding to the ideas of Matthias Desmond. And one thing I've noticed is that these, the, the object of anxiety is always something that does not exist in material reality. Now, let me explain that because it needs some explanation. Philosophers have understood for thousands of years that categories do not have a physical existence individual items within the category do, but the category itself is what we call a mental construct. So I give the example in chairs, you're sitting on a chair, I'm sitting on sort of a chair, probably no. everybody uh, listening and watching this webcast is sitting on some kind of a chair. There are billions of individual examples of chairs or chair-like objects that we sit on. All of us understand the concept of a chair, but the category of chairs itself does not have a material existence. It's an idea, it's a mental construct, it's a category. It exists only in our minds. And we can never, so this is another important, this is both a spiritual truth and a physical truth. We can never destroy something that does not have a material existence. You cannot destroy an idea or a mental construct or a theory or a category. So, mm -hmm. so people were led, for example, in Nazi Germany, they're led to fight against the Jews. Oh, the Jew, all our problems are because of the Jews. If we just got rid of the Jews, yeah. but the Jews is a category. Yeah. You, can you can never destroy a category, but you can kill individual people if you call them Jews. Yeah. We can never destroy terrorism, but in the last two decades, we've killed millions of people terrorists. by calling them terrorists. That's right. Yeah. And now, look what what's being what are we being called now? We can never destroy racism, mm -hmm. but we have all our Western governments have an official war against racism. It's called anti-racism, yeah. and we will kill people when we call them racists. This same pattern is happening again. So this pattern. And that Matthias Desmond says it always begins with an ideology, usually a quasi-scientific ideology. For example, Hitler and, and the Bolsheviks and stuff, they use things like social Darwinism and eugenic race theory and things like that. Mm -hmm. like, it always begins with an ideology. 
which is an ideology is always a misunderstanding of reality, an incomplete understanding of reality. Reality is always far more complex, more nuanced, more multifaceted than can ever be contained in any ideology. So this begins with an ideology where we folk, where we create an object of anxiety but it doesn't exist in material reality, but it has a huge psychological function and people are able to battle against this. They engage in this battle against the object of anxiety. They're led to give up their self-control for the control of a tyrant. So that leads to totalitarianism, Mm -hmm. which because they're trying to destroy something that does not exist in material reality, they end up mass murdering their brothers and sisters, their fellow humans in an attempt to destroy something that is impossible to destroy. And that's why this whole process of ideology leading to mass formation, leading to totalitarianism leads to mass murder and it will again. And another important point that Matthias Desmond makes, and we can draw, we can draw some important conclusions first for those of us in Alberta and in the Alberta Prosperity Project, and that's this. He said that totalitarianism is a very different thing from a classical dictatorship. Mm-hmm. In a classical dictatorship, you have a simply have a small group of violent people who take control, take political control of a country. But totalitarianism is not just political control, it is total control, hence its name. Mm-hmm. And the great uh, writer in, in her work on totalitarianism, Hannah Arendt, says totalitarianism must ultimately control reality itself. And that exactly plays in with what happens in a fraud. Mm-hmm. In a fraud, you are through carefully targeted lies and deception, you're able to convince people of things that are not true, that are an alternate reality. In really, you are able to convince people of a fantasy. And so make people make decisions and responses based on a fantasy rather than on reality. And, and it's exactly what, what Yuri Bezmanov said about communist subversion. Mm-hmm. Active me- the purpose of active measures is to change your perception of reality mm-hmm. so that you don't see what's going on. Like it, these pieces all fit together. Yes, they do. And so, and so with totalitarianism, you can't simply get rid of the, uh, get rid of the leaders. That's not how it started. And that's mm-hmm. not how it ends. Right. If somebody had managed to assassinate Hitler, Goering would have taken his place or one of the other leaders in the inner circle. When Lenin died, Stalin took his place. It didn't end. That's not how totalitarianism ends. Matthias Desmond says very clearly, the only way to to, uh, get rid of totalitarianism is to dismantle the ideologies that enabled it. And that's why what what we're doing with the Alberta Prosperity Project is so important because we're trying to shine the light of truth on things that are really going on and dispel these fantasies that that so many people are attached to. That's right. You know, coming coming back from uh, the convoy, coming back from Ottawa, I'm pretty sure no one's actually typed that in the comments, but the, the big thing is, well, why don't we just get rid of them? Right. And but really, it just comes down to because then someone will just come in the place and the idea will will still be stuck around. And it's not just a matter of getting rid of one person or even a couple of people, because like you said, you can't just get rid of 
you know, it, you can't break individual chairs and not call them chairs anymore. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, so, so that, that, that ties in. I mean, so, um, I know you, you didn't want to jump to that. Oh, no, I, I jumped, let's, too, let's so jump. but yeah, but so, so like, like, where do we go? What, what do we do yeah. as, as citizens are trying to either preserve or I say recreate because democracy is already gone. I mean, I, two and a half years ago, I wrote a blog post that said Canada's dead. Yeah. It's over. When I, COVID hit, when yeah. COVID hit, I realized, hold it. Like this isn't democracy. Like parliament didn't even meet. No, no. You know, for, and for two years, we did not have a federal budget. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it could be argued that the number one most important role of parliament is to control government spending. Mm -hmm. So parliament didn't meet. We had no budget for two years. And what Runaway. happened? Spending doubled. Yeah. They just created money out of thin yeah. air yeah. and, and spread it around. And now they have no idea where it went and, and no, no plan to go looking for it. There was a news report just, just a yes. few days ago yeah, that said that Revenue Canada says, oh, it's not worth looking it's, for all it's of the Exactly. Problems. What? If, if yeah. you were a legitimate business and, and $2 billion went missing, you'd go, can I, I'd like to see an accounting of that. You know what? We got much more that we can just keep printing. Like, that is... Yeah, because, you know what, and then... And Carrie, you know this. This this didn't get in, in into the book, but none. It shows up right away. Okay, so if they're if the government itself is not interested in trying to figure out where three hundred billion dollars went to, and if it actually accomplished what they said it was going to do, yeah. then uh, we should. Okay, maybe that wasn't really the intention. No. And I make I do make that point later in the book. All of this money printing and stuff, it was to create dependence. Yeah, this is one one of the tactics of communist subversion is yeah. to, but one way or another, make everybody dependent upon the government, and then they're caught because, like, most of our country is captured. When this happened, I mean, I have a degree in economics, and but. You don't have to have a degree in economics to see that this is utter nonsense. When they said, oh, you know, in March of 2020, and the government said, oh, don't go to work. Don't produce anything. Yeah. Just yeah. stay home. Watch Netflix. We'll print money and hand it out and everything will be fine. Yeah. You know, I, I called up one of the few economists that I know personally. And I said, hey, Danny, why is not a single legitimate economist standing up and saying, guys, you can't do this. This isn't how it works. Like what what? economics textbook did you read you know and yeah. and he said he said well don you know almost all economists worked for the government mm -hmm. then another light came on i thought that's right okay economists aren't going to stand up and 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 tell the truth yeah. they're captured right so all the big businesses aren't going to say anything because they're get, getting government handouts absolutely and they, and, yeah. and they basically pass on like all the extra costs that were put on businesses, like put up the one way, uh, you know, aisles and, and the plexiglass screens and the map and do yeah. this, do that. And, yeah. you know, all, all the stuff, they just pass that cost on to consumers. But big businesses don't pay taxes. They yeah. collect taxes for government. Yeah. It just gets that they've got the economic power in the, the market uh, power to do that. So the businesses went along. Uh, everybody who got a government paycheck went along, whether that was welfare or, 
you know, you're a government employee or you're a teacher or you're a nurse or you're a doctor or you're a fireman or you're a policeman or you're in the military or you're getting a government pension, right? Mm -hmm. All of these people, their lives didn't change. They got paid. They got their salary whether they went to work or not. Who yeah. got hurt by this? Yeah. Curious yeah. that the people who got most hurt are the same people who are most likely to oppose government control. Mm -hmm. Independent business, small business owners, and independent tradesmen and artists. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Musicians, musicians were absolutely. out of work. Yeah, yeah. And, and having said that, they were the first ones to to bow down to big government and please give me money. And when yeah. the solution was offered, right, the solution yeah. was offered, they said, yes, I will, I will definitely do that because then I can get back to work. And we can keep getting our, our like if the, if a business wasn't going to go along with the, this is this is part of the coercion, right? It's always a, a, a carrot and a stick. Here's yeah. the care. Oh, the government will give you money. Oh, you're suffering economically in your business. We forced you to close. Here's what. How much do you need? Five thousand dollars a month. Ten thousand dollars a month. Yeah. We're, we're going to give you money. But now you're dependent on the government. Oh, but you have to insist that everybody walks through your door is is jabbed or yes, you have to do this or you have to do that right so you, it yeah. makes you dependent and now i see i don't know just the other day i saw this map of all the different municipalities across canada who are getting millions millions of dollars in federal government money of course just printed out out of yeah. nowhere right they just to go along with this smart city stuff Edmonton and Calgary, Aris getting $50 million. I mean, even little things like, uh, what is it? The, um, oh my goodness, uh, the the village of, it's it's way down Southern Alberta. It's a village. Oh, Less and, they, than, and they signed up for it as well? Well, I know like yeah. Overtoops has, and yeah, there's, yeah. there's a few places that have, yeah. Yeah. $5 million grant from the federal government for a community of less than a thousand people to go, to go along with the smart cities plan. Yeah. Like this, this is the, oh, we'll give you money if you just institute these, uh, these control measures. And then the 15 minute city things, yeah. this is against the law. Again, we're breaking the, breaking the constitution. The, the, our, our charter of rights and freedom says we're free to travel anywhere in the country. In yeah. fact, we're free to leave the country and return to it at will. That's a right of citizenship. That's right. So I say, you know what, when they took that, that away, they canceled my citizenship. Mm -hmm. That's very <laughs> true. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I think we, all of us, okay, I'm getting on to other solutions. No, no, all of us need to bring, bring this to the attention of, yeah. of our municipal governments and say, yes. hey, you cannot restrict the free movement of Canadians or you're breaking the law. And if Absolutely. you get police and bylaw enforcement officers out there to issue tickets, yeah. then yeah. as I was saying in, in a call last night, I said, look, policemen, you can either be law enforcers or mm -hmm. you can be law breakers, but you yeah. can't be both. Take your pick. That's right. Oh, I'm getting worked up. <laughs> no, that's not mine. Um, so, okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you already want. So, the solution no, yeah, is not. Let's I mean, just, you know what? I mean, forget many, the many Albertans, the talk. Yeah, <laughs> many Albertans are looking to Danielle Smith as a savior. Yeah. And I make this point. So no one is coming to save you. If you're if you're sucked into this savior kind of complex, oh, savior, come, then uh-uh. It's on your yeah. shoulders. We, we've always... People in social whatever have always want, looked up to a leader, have always looked up to a king or queen, have always looked for someone to come and save them. And, it, and it's now to the point where, you know what, we need to save ourselves. And mm -hmm. I guess the big question, of course, is 
how do we go about doing that? Because I know that it's already lit up the comments about, so tell us how to do this. Tell us how to do this. Okay. Well, um, there, there's many things that, that probably everybody listening has heard b before. So, I mean, the, the ways that we're being controlled are, you know, many of them I've mentioned, trying to make us completely dependent upon the government yeah. or, or dependent in, in one way or another on the government. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're taking, um, uh, how shall I say it? Like the, nobody, this is an important distinction. Nobody took our freedoms. We gave our freedoms away when we gave away our responsibility. Yeah. We gave away our responsibility for taking care of our own old age, which mm -hmm. is our individual personal responsibility. When we agreed to, oh, I'll get a government pension. Yeah, right. Or I'll get a company pension that like the company will look after me. The stock yeah. market will look after me. No. Okay. We gave away our responsibilities and thus we gave away our freedoms because freedom and responsibility are two sides of the same coin. It's true. And, and as, as uh, Jeffrey Prather says, I highly recommend him. Jeffrey Prather.com. I think he's an intelligence agent. I, I learned some of my things about psychological warfare and the intelligence business and stuff from him. He says, freedom is never given. It is taken. We need to take our freedom back by taking back our responsibilities. So the, the solution to, to uh, depend, control through dependency is radical self-reliance, personal responsibility. You take care of yourself. That's your first responsibility as a human being. And therein lies the whole concept of personal sovereignty. I mean, Alberta uh, Prosperity Project talks about sovereignty. Yeah. It begins with personal sovereignty. You being responsible for yourself, taking care of yourself. Then the, uh, uh, the sovereignty of the family. Mm -hmm. Then there is sovereignty of the community. And all of our governments are structured in a top-down structure. Yeah. We, yeah. Need, we need to reverse that. Every municipality in, in Alberta, for example, is a creature of the provincial government. The provincial government creates, authorizes, and has control of municipalities it's enshrined in the municipal government act. Okay, so and and it has happened, right? The the provincial government has the authority to 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 um, disband a, uh, a town or a city council and take control if if it's being mismanaged, and that has happened a couple yeah. times in the past. And uh, so, uh, like that power is backwards. Mm -hmm. So we need to restructure. This goes into parallel structures. I'll talk about it more generally in a minute. But in terms of government structures, we need to to uh, restructure it, starting with the sovereign individual, the sovereign family, the sovereign community, and then and the power flows up. And communities can, if they wish, join together in a in a league. You might call it mm -hmm. to form a province. So we need a structure more on the the structure of the old Hanseatic League in Northern Europe uh, during medieval times, or more on the structure that's been perverted and, and corrupted now, but the structure of Switzerland, where the, fu where the fundamental government is the canton. And cantons, I believe, have the ability to secede from the Swiss Federation if they choose to. But, you know, that's, so that's the kind of, the, the municipality or the, the, the greater municipality, you know, the, mm -hmm. Yeah. with the ability to secede from the province or secede from the nation if they choose. We yeah. can't have all this power concentrated in, in the federal government. You, Everyone's heard the expression, power corrupts, and, and all absolute power corrupts absolutely. 
in in the United States, when they formed the United States 250 years ago, the founders of that nation tried to structure their government in such a way that the majority of power would be held at a very low level. And uh, that also has got perverted. We need to try again. Yeah. I know even uh, it, you were just talking about in terms of federal government, province, you know, communities, family, and then the individual. And of course, now we're looking at this whole WEF and uh, the, the United Nations, one world government. And again, the idea should be to decentralize whatever we possibly can, yep. rather than working from this top-down approach, because that is just, we've seen it. We've seen it even with uh, Alberta Health Services. It just in terms of, you know, they wanted to centralize everything. And that we've got yep. problems with ambulances and, and all that because we've got this one central place trying to man everything else. And and it should be these communities or these uh, these smaller zones being able to do that. Yep. And I think that's what we need to get back to is definitely get back to uh, get back to your community, get back to your family unit, family yep. unit. Right. What is yep. a family unit right now? Well, you know, people get together at uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving and uh, mm -hmm. otherwise you never see each other. And I'll, and I'll be the first one to admit that, uh, you know, when, when my kids were growing up and I was busy doing stuff and, uh, you know, I, again, kicked my own ass for doing what uh, I was out doing work and whatever that I should have really been with the family. Right. And now they're gone. They're off to university. And, uh, you know, it's the cats in the cradle um Harry, famous harry chapin song um and that's exactly what it is i mean it's uh it's nice to hear from my, my daughters and it, it's great i love them very much but you know just taking it upon myself it's uh i have to i have to start getting together with family and yeah. and from there you you grow into your community and from there you grow into a larger community or a town or a village or whatever you want to call it. So I think that's, those, those should be the plans that we should be doing for the next little while is get to know your neighbor and yep. trade with your neighbor if you had to, because I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about this as well too, in terms of, you know, like, uh, so now we're talking about money and they're spending money and printing money and eventually there's not going to be any money or the money is going to be devalued so much that we won't be able to do anything. And then they're going to have to come in with something else, another form of money or, it's, or, you know, that sort of thing. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's yeah. chapter, chapter 16, I think. <laughs> or maybe it's chapter 17. Well, it, well into the book. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, because I mean, you know, uh, Carrie, that was, it was one, that was one of the first things yeah. that, uh, that kind of opened my eyes to that, that these guys are liars, not idiots. Like yeah. I, gra I, I finished my economics degree in 19, uh, 1990 and I was a little late. I dropped out of university three times, but mm -hmm. you know, I eventually went back enough times to get a couple of degrees, mm -hmm. but I lived through the inflation of the seventies and the oh, upheaval, yes. and, yeah. and, you know, read all the, what I later learned was, you know, economic nonsense that was peddled at the time. Yeah. Um, and in the 1980s, I was uh, very interested when I was working on my economics during the 1980s and and monetary theory was was the area of most interest to me. And that uh, famous as famous as Canadian economists, economists can be, but a, a famous Canadian economist who taught for many years at Queen's University, uh, Thomas Kershane, wrote mm -hmm. a series of books okay, that went in great detail explaining 
at least the Canadian experience with inflation in the 1970s, the monetary policy and why it failed, why it didn't work, what happened and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and I read that series of books, wrote some papers on it. So like I was, you know, fairly uh, familiar with monetary theory and, you know, what worked and what didn't work. And yeah. starting about the mid 1990s, our central banks and, and, you know, finance ministers, monetary authorities and stuff started behaving strangely. And I thought, like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like this, like we've, we've just come through a very painful and long recession to solve these inflation problems that were caused by, uh, you know, loose monetary policy. And now we're going into loose monetary policy again mm-hmm. in the late 1980s, or late 1990s, sorry. You know, we, we had this economic boom and this, we now in the stock market boom. And, yeah. and um, Alan Greenspan, who was chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve at that time, was famous for this comment. He said, oh, stock market participants are exhibiting irrational enthusiasm. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I thought, Alan Greenspan, like, how can you say that? Mm-hmm. It's your own monetary policy. You have to know that. Yeah. It's not possible for you not to know this. And I started to catch on these people, these people are not idiots. Mm -hmm. They all like the the people who run our central bank, they all have PhDs in economics. Yeah. They know about monetary policy. Yeah. They're not idiots. What else is there? They're liars. They know what they know what they're doing and they're lying about it. And then I saw, for example, in Canada, right? I saw a similar thing when they brought in the long gun registry Mm -hmm. and we had at the time I was a, a member of the uh, uh, the Canadian Firearms Association, whatever they call it. it it's changed its name, but we used to get uh, newsletters. Some people will remember this. Right? We used to get newsletters printed on paper and sent through the mail. Anyway, yeah. that's how things were done, you know, BC, before computers. Yes. So so I get the newsletters. And I, I remember reading one is that, that like the president of the, the Canadian Firearms Association sat down you know, with the minister involved and explained to him very carefully and, and, you know, presented them with a little paper showing that, look, what you're doing cannot work. Mm-hmm. It's not possible for, for this legislation to achieve your stated goals. And they mm-hmm. did it anyway. And some people remember that, you know, the fun that I, I didn't do this, but I know I heard about it. People who, you know, who registered like their Hilti guns and their, oh, yeah. uh, their staple guns and maybe they even <laughs> registered potato guns for all I know. But, uh, you yeah. know, like, oh, it, it was ridiculous. And of course, yeah. it was completely ineffective. It's not possible. So yeah. there's another example. See, when 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 our political leaders bring in laws or bring in policies that cannot possibly achieve their stated objectives Mm -hmm. these people are not idiots they're liars yeah the real objective is something different and if you want to learn the real objective watch to see what happens that was the real objective and so when we see this with nitrogen oh we're going to save the save the planet by cutting back on fertilizer no it has absolutely nothing to do with the environment or the climate or the planet what does it have to do with it's very easy to see this destroying our food supply and causing mass starvation. That's yeah. what it has to do with this. And we're seeing this all over the world. Over 200 you know, like food processing facilities in the United States have, have been, you know, oh, it was a fire. Yes, and, and, no, you're right. Like, like, no, this is this never happened before. Yeah. Like this last one just this past week, right? A hundred thousand uh, laying hens you know, went up. Nobody even got to eat. They're all at the barbecue. Over 100 firefighters at the barbecue, but nobody got the fried chicken. 
wow. barbecued chicken. But yeah, right. So this is one. This is something like the fourth or fifth largest supplier of eggs into the U.S. market. And eggs are already like twelve to eighteen dollars a dozen. <laughs> in the US. Yeah, you know, like yeah, everybody get your own chickens because most likely they're going to do the same thing in Canada. We've seen yeah. this, right? Whatever the Americans do, or yeah. the Canadians do it just a little bit slower. But, but you know what? Even if people did, so I'm not even sure. Honestly, I haven't even checked into it yet. But I know there's certain municipalities that you can have a chicken at home, and I'm I'm pretty sure Calgary you could probably have one anyways, guaranteed at some point. The uh, government's going to come in and say, no, you know what, you, you, we can't do that because we're already seeing what's going to end up happening down the pipe is uh, you're not going to be able to go hunting without it. You know, you, you basically pay for a, a fee. You pay for a license, a hunting license, fishing license, any license. And eventually they're going to just make that cost astronomical so that people won't be able to afford to, to do that. And that's that's basically so it looks like. The government is helping out and doing a good thing conservation yada yada sustainability all that sort of stuff but it's going to come down to no we're just going to price it right out of the average person uh, won't be able to do it anymore yeah and if oh, you can't Carrie, go hunting, Carrie, you, and you can't Carrie, go fishing you, you might as well hand in your fishing rod and your gun you you know very well carrie there's not enough wildlife officers if people get really oh, hungry that's true. yeah if you're people right. get really hungry yeah. They're going to take their guns and they're going to go shoot anything that moves. And if a wildlife officer bothers them, like wildlife yeah. officers will be scared for their lives and yeah. rightly so. That's true. Right. You, you're going to go like try to you know, like four or five guys out hunting deer and moose and all have guns and you're going to go try to hassle them when they're yeah. hungry and feeding their families. Good luck with that. I mean, no. wildlife officers aren't stupid. Yeah, you're right. Like there, there's no way. I mean, if people get really hungry, it it human the humans in Canada and the United States as well will yeah. decimate wildlife populations. Yeah, like th this is the worst possible thing for the environment and for wildlife, because uh, I'll do it. Yeah. If I'm hungry, like I don't care if it's in season, you are out of season, license, no license, tag, no tag. Like yeah. if I'm hungry, I'll I'll shoot something. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and thousands and thousands of Albertans will do the same thing. There aren't enough police and wildlife to stop that. No. And it will be like it 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 will be warfare in the in the wilderness. Right. <laughs> I was actually I was actually gonna bring up the, you know, maybe the government will end up uh, putting uh, putting on hiring. Hey, we're hiring conservation officers, we're hiring police officers, we're doing all this stuff in order to combat going uh, out and just shooting wild animals. Right. And there'll be lots of people that say, yeah, you know what? I can get a job with the government and I'll I'll go in and I'll, uh, you know, if someone's shooting a, a bear, I'm going to go after. them. You know, like I don't even know what the mentality of a lot of people are, but uh, but that's, you know, that's kind of what well, I'm thinking could happen. Well, I mean, I mean, when people need jobs, right, I mean, they're then to bring yeah. in this. This just transition, I wrote a blog post on that a week or so ago, right? right? This just transition. I mean, heck, I mean, you got people who are out of jobs and they got the, you know, mortgage to pay. The, the, people will take jobs yeah. uh, and, the, and they'll try to do what they're told. But if their own life is threatened, yeah, I mean, it'll only take one one wildlife officer to be shot in the bush. Yeah. And right. all the rest of wildlife officers will say, no damn way I'm going out there. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Better to die of starvation at home. <laughs> no, no, no actually, but, but, you know what? Things things won't come to that. Things yeah. won't come to. And 
and and let me be clear i am not suggesting violence i'm suggesting nonviolence. i mean my little this is a spiritual war we haven't talked about the spiritual i was just gonna yeah. that Go this is a spiritual war and i say throughout the book yeah. in this spiritual war our strategy is love our tactic is forgiveness our weapon is non-violent non-cooperation and all we need to do is stop cooperating that with I these people and, and it's like it's like Gandhi said in uh, people may remember this line from the movie decades ago. Right. Gandhi said to Lord Mountbatten, the, the British Viceroy of India, it is not possible for 100,000 Englishmen to control 300 million Indians if the Indians simply refuse to cooperate. That's right. And the same is exactly true now. If yeah. if mass and it doesn't take everybody. Like if we had, uh, like take any major company, if 20 or 30% of the people, so you got to get jabbed or, you know, or you're fired. If 20% yeah. or 30% of the people said, I'm out of here. Bye. Done. Yeah. That's it for like, the company. Yeah. That's yeah. It, it, it. And because you know who leaves, <laughs> I don't know how many uh, people who run companies realize this, but I hope most of them do. Who leaves a company? The best people. Yeah. Like yep. the useless farts who can't get a job anywhere else, they They'll never quit. Around. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's the best people who leave because they can do anything. They can yep. get a job anywhere. In yep. fact, there's so many of them now, they just leave. I don't need a job. I, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't need a job. I'll figure something out. I got, I got skills. Yeah. And, that's, and right. that's, that's what's slowly happening. And yep. so we're building, we're building new communities. We're building we're building new parallel structures. And, and that's the other thing, important point. And, and almost everybody probably has heard this now. This comes from the, uh, the famous dissident, communist dissident in Czechoslovakia called Vaclav Havel. And he later became the first president of the free Czechoslovakia. And he wrote about this in a book called Parallel Structures. And that's what he calls his idea, Parallel Structures. When you're faced with a totalitarian government that controls all of the, what we call structures in society, it's mm -hmm. not possible to fight directly against that. What you have to do is create other structures. So a new structure for culture and for artistic work, a new structure for education of your children, a new structure for, uh, you know, uh, growing food and, and mm -hmm. exchanging food and trading, new structures for everything. We're yeah. seeing, because all of the structures are controlled. We're seeing this in the in the case with Jordan Peterson, right? The, 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 um, uh, what do they call them? Psychology Association of Ontario or the yeah, Ontario yeah. Association of Psychologists, whatever their name is, right? Yeah. That yeah. all now, this isn't just them. We've seen it with medical uh, uh, doctors, and physicians, and surgeons, colleges, and yeah. We've seen it everywhere. It's happened in every professional association, in every yeah. union. They've yeah. stopped being representatives of their members and they've become control vectors for government policy. You see, the, 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 the government couldn't, couldn't bring charges against Jordan Peterson for, like, all the stupid things that he's charged with by his professional source, retreating, retweeting a, 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 a post of, of Pierre Polyview, right? The yeah, leader yeah. of the official, yeah. retweeting that. Like, that's one of the charges against him. That's not a charge. The, the government can't bring that kind of a nonsense, idiotic charge. No, they've delegated the professional associations to be the 
enforcement vectors for government policy. So mm-hmm. you have to do exactly what you're told, right? It's, it's, yeah, that's one of the control vectors. So I talk about that in the chapter where I explain what Yuri Bezmenov described as the, as communist subversion. Yeah, this is part of step two, destabilization. Yeah. You take control of all of these structures in society. And exactly the same thing happened in all of the other totalitarian countries. Hitler did the same, Mussolini did the same, Lenin did the same. That yeah. the, the, the control is actually exercised through professional associations and business groups and schools and universities. Yeah. It's true. not directly the government, it's, it's yeah. all these other things. And it's a combination of money and force. Yeah. You're bribed with money. Right. I just listened to a podcast um, today uh, about uh, a lady who, you know, dropped out of almost finishing a master's degree in psychology because of this absolute wokeness. She had to like it was it was crazy. Wow. And and yeah. And so and a few apparently a few uh, university administrators have kind of let it out without being public about it, that, oh, wow, well, yeah, we, we don't like this either, but we have to go along with it because our funding depends on it. Mm-hmm. Ah, see, they get their money from the government or from George Soros's foundations, wherever the big money funding comes from, and they say, okay, well, you have to do this. You have You're to right. do that. Yeah. They, they have become a control vector for government policy, which is totalitarian government policy. Yeah. So the yeah. governments, and we, we've seen, here I'm going on and on, but no. we've seen we've yeah. seen the same thing in the United States, right? With the, the two states, I think it's Mississippi and what's the other state that is bringing this legal action against the federal government? Because the United States, the, the government cannot officially censor uh, because that's breaking the Second Amendment, right? The free speech, I think, is the Second yeah. Amendment. They, but so they've been saying, oh, well, it's not the government. It's these private companies, right? Twitter and Facebook and all this kind of stuff. They can set their private business. They can set their own, uh, you know, kind of internal policies. that have nothing to do with the government. Well, yeah. now, right, it's come to light, as many of us knew all along, but it's yeah. come out in public uh, because Twitter has revealed it. Um, and other other whistleblowers have too, that, that these instructions were coming from government. In fact, all departments of the U.S. federal government, from some state governments, from some like congressmen and stuff, <laughs> like they were giving instructions to Twitter and Facebook and all the rest about who to yeah. censor, what tweets to take down. This is coming directly from the government, but yeah. the, the social media companies are the control vector in that case over information. And of course, the mainstream media has the same control. It's exactly what part of the billion dollars that Trudeau gave away to the mainstream media corporate, not to Rebel News, not no. to True North News, no, no, to the main, uh, the mainstream media who do exactly what they're told. They've become like Pravda. They, yeah. they are the propaganda arm of the government. And, mm-hmm. you know, many, many of our listeners understand that already. So yeah. it's just one of the vectors of control. <laughs> one of these one of these giant dots sitting right in front of you you got to connect yeah. all these dots because that's yeah. exactly what's going on right yeah and when you realize it's planned yeah yeah it's absolutely planned so you know we, we've kind of just talked a little bit i'm trying to look back at my notes but forget this um just you know <laughs> We 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 covered most, most of the high it. points anyway, Carrie. It's been good. No, but no, you're but right. It is you it, you, uh, yeah. you you get to see the questions. I don't see questions. I mean, have listeners uh, uh, written in some questions that we want to address? 
Well, yeah, and actually, I've, I forgot to mention it right at the top, but uh, if you do have questions, I, I probably should have told you to put like three question marks before your question. That way it kind of flags as to what's going on. I mean, I've been kind of looking through them. A lot of them are just comments, which are, which are still fine, too. Um, you know, they, they, they talked a little bit about uh, the uh, 15 minute city. And of course, we, we really touched on a little bit on that. Of course, the climate change and emergency and, and, and all that. And I'm trying to think. Um, so in, in your book, because this is also interesting as well. We, you talk about the fifth generation warfare, right? Because we're used to kind of traditional warfare, you know, uh, started off with uh spears and and arrows and and uh, eventually get to rifles and and big guns and all that but we're well past that now so do you want to maybe talk a little bit more about uh, about that and how you how you relate it in your book um not sure how much uh, how concerned are you about time terry oh i'm not concerned at all about time is is anybody concerned about time is anybody <laughs> no no one's concerned about okay time. so um, so some people are starting to mention fifth generation warfare now. It was a new term to me uh, a year ago or something like that. And yeah. and I do talk about it in the chapter on China, uh, because it's yeah. important to understand how China fits into all of this, um, at least as I see it. Now, so the whole book is, okay, what I'm able to see and perceive now. And, yeah. and a great deal is still hidden. I don't have any secret inside sources. I everything. I'm a band director, yeah. right? I only found out stuff that anybody can find out. So, but yeah, um, China. China has what they call unrestricted warfare. This term comes from a, a famous uh, paper published by two uh, People's Liberation Army colonels uh, about 20 years or so now. At least it was about 20 years ago that it got translated into English. Mm -hmm. And you know, I summarize it as in, in the communist. Um, doctrine. War is everything and everything is war. Yeah. So politics is war. Business is war. Um, uh, art is war. Right. Cultural exchanges are warfare. Right. Uh, uh, everything is warfare for them. Their goal is, is to take over the whole world. They, they call it their their uh, their hundred year marathon. And there's I, I reference a book by that title in which it's explained. They want to be essentially China to control the whole world by 2049, the 100th anniversary of, uh, the, of communism in China. Mm -hmm. So the 100 year marathon they, in the in democracies don't plan long term. This is one of the great weaknesses of democracies. Yeah. Right. But so they have long term plans. So uh, everything is war. War is everything. Now, American military strategists. Uh, uh, define things a little bit differently, but they come to kind of a similar sort of a place in, in modern warfare. Mm -hmm. So they've defined these these five uh, generations of warfare. So in, in this categorization, first generation warfare is basically everything up to about the middle of the 19th century, the 1800s. So um, uh, it, so it's kind of combination of weapons and tactics because weapons and tactics go, go together. Right. You, you, you change right. weapons, it, it, it always uh, generates a change in tactics. Yeah. So uh, basically up to about, the, say, the time of the Civil War, we had line and column tactics, a fairly orderly battlefield, uh, single projectiles, whether it was arrows or muskets yeah. um, or uh, breach, uh, or sorry. Um, um, muskets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, muskets, the yeah. um, 
um, muzzle loading, uh, muzzle loading uh, guns. Like the, like the American Civil War started out, everybody had had muzzle muzzle loading uh, uh, muskets, right? By the end of the war, the North had a breech loading um, with with cartridges like we use today. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, up to about that time, so we had an orderly battlefield, and uh, commanders would kind of um, uh, observe the, you know, stand up on a hill somewhere, right? Observe the whole battlefield and and direct the battle, right? People would follow orders. The commander would give commands, and people would follow orders. Do this, go that, send in the cavalry over there, whatever. Now, then it was followed by second generation warfare, which is dominated by artillery and multiple fire weapons. So we think of the Second World War, where you had machine guns. It changed the whole nature of warfare. And this, yeah. it's trench warfare. And the, nobody anticipated this in 1914 going in, really. Mm-hmm. And massive artillery. So they had massive artillery barrages that were used to uh, to destroy the enemy's, um, enemy's artillery, uh, enemy's um, uh, defense uh, defenses, and uh, enemy, um, you know, um, manpower. And then that was followed up in the third world or second world war, where we have third generation warfare, which is is dominated by uh, weapons that are highly mobile. And so you have uh, tanks, right? So now you have armored cavalry. Cavalry has been replaced with with tank battles instead of cavalry battles. And you have mobile are very you know rapidly mobile artillery you have mobile air forces that are capable of of targeting artillery and ground forces and ground defenses and stuff and you have well for example to make a step back in this first world war right an increasingly disordered battlefield that became much more difficult for commanders to see these massive battles they they you couldn't see the whole battlefield yeah. in but they still tried to right they still tried to enforce order on an increasingly disordered battlefield. In the Second World War, success came largely from not trying to impose order on on the battlefield. You couldn't see the whole battle and it was disordered, but you allowed, instead instead of commands, you had objectives. And you had smaller groupings, uh, military groupings, where where the lower ranking officers were in charge. Here's your objective: like That's true. do what you need, do what you need to do. Right? Yeah. <laughs> call in artillery support. Call in uh, um, uh, dive bomber support if you need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had communications. You had uh, rapidly move. If you run into uh, like a, a difficult spot, mm-hmm. then go around it. You know, don't don't get bogged down. Go around it. Rapid movements. Uh, yep. So this was, you know, the second, second World War battlefields are all like, you see the arrows going this way, right? It's all about in going around these guys, encircling them. Oh, nobody's over here. Go that way. Encircle yep. those guys, cut them off, uh, go around them. That's how uh, the Germans um, essentially went around the, the Great National Line. In the spring of 1940, right, people looking on, on paper, it looked like the French army was a little bit superior. This was going to be a tough slog and battle between the German army and the French army. Yeah. But the French army was still using second generation warfare tactics. The German army was using third generation war pa- warfare tactics and they destroyed them in six weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was the second world war. Now, fourth generation warfare is insurgency warfare of all types. So think of the think of the Vietnam War. And now the the lines between combatants and non-combatants becomes blurred. The line between uh, uh, regular forces 
and irregular forces becomes blurred. You have non-state actors becoming significant factors in warfare. Uh, you know, you had the uh, American patrol would go out on um, on a uh, on a patrol or something, right? Yeah. And they would never know. They pass through a village. Were, did the did the village children just just plant landmines on the jungle path? You don't know. That's true. Like, yeah. Children yeah. were combatants. And like yeah. It, yeah. you never knew. You never knew who the enemy was. It was a different kind of warfare. So yeah. fourth generation warfare is the only type of warfare that the United States Army has lost so far. Hmm. Now we come to fifth generation warfare, and and so yeah, something about fourth generation warfare, insurgency warfare, is you try to make yourself untargetable rather than impregnable mm -hmm. right the, the Viet Cong would would ambush uh, American unit and then they'd melt back into the jungle they became yeah. untargetable right yeah. and this yeah. is something because we are essentially fighting a fourth generation insurgency warfare and keeping ourselves untargetable I think is an important aspect of that so mm -hmm. then you come to fifth generation warfare and it doesn't even seem like warfare because it's not kinetic mm-hmm Nobody shoots you with a gun. Nobody drops a bomb on you. So fourth, a fifth generation warfare has been, been well explained, actually, by Jeffrey Prather. He said there's two components to it. And the first component he calls information influence operations. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what's going on all around us through the mainstream yeah. media, through control of social media, through control of all of the, all of the professional associations and structures and universities and school, all that kind of stuff, right? It's all yeah. information influence operations to, um, this is part of psychological warfare. So he said the information influence operations is to prepare the ground. Well, in fifth generation warfare, most of the ground is internal. Because then when it's followed up with the other aspects of fifth generation warfare, it's biological warfare, it's chemical warfare, it's psychological warfare, it's metabolic warfare. It's all, you know, so many of these things that happen inside of us and yeah. we don't even realize it's warfare. Yeah. So, so having said all that, you're convinced as well as I am that we are in a third world war. We're, we're in the midst of a, of a worldwide yeah. World War Three, yeah. that's being conducted using fifth generation warfare, and it's it's all the ordinary people against their own governments. Yeah, this war is our own governments waging war against us. Yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, this this is this is stuff that would be you know nineteen thirties nineteen fifties science fiction as to uh, to what's going on. Look, George Orwell, nineteen eighty four. Right. Every, and every, everybody should go back and reread 1984 yes. because yeah. I mean it's it's really it's exactly what these globalist elites or whoever the heck they are it's exactly what they have planned but yeah. they're just 46 years late they call it Agenda 2030 they yeah. didn't get it done by 1984 but they want it all done by 2030. Yeah. So. Again, the, the questions, yeah, are, going be, but we questions are going to be, so how do we get out of this? Or what can we do? And you know what? I'm not even sure if we can. Yeah. Like, are, are, we, we, are we so far gone? Like, I, like, be honest. Do you think that we're so far gone that, uh, you know, there, there's really no way to get out or to, to get back to where we were? And having said that, I'm, I'm just going to say right now, we're not going back to pre-2019. Like, because there's so much of a difference in, 
and opinion and everything that's happened so far that those days I think are gone. So we almost have to come to come to terms with that. And then we look forward and say, so how can we continue on and still be sane uh, in the years that are coming along? Yeah. The nostalgia for a mythical golden age in the 1970s or 80s or whenever you grew up. No, is yeah. no time does not move backwards. It only yeah. moves forward. So we must go forward into uh, a, a new time. And we, I mean, like I hate to quote Klaus Schwab, but yeah, we we will create it. Yeah. Each and every one of us. And 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 it, it depends on each and every one of us because. I'm the only person I can change. I make this point repeatedly. You can only change yourself. Yeah. Trying to change others only results in terrorizing others. So we need to change ourselves. And the, the first step is to, we're, we're being manipulated with fear. On a spiritual level, the two spiritual uh, extremes or the two ends of the spiritual spectrum are fear and love. Many people don't understand that, but you think hatred is on the other side. No, but... If you meditate on what you hate, you will find fear behind it. It's mm -hmm. always fear. And when someone is trying to make you fearful, they're trying to manipulate you. Mm -hmm. And we are being manipulated with fear. Fear of this climate disaster, fear of a virus, fear of terrorists, fear of racism. Fear... It's, all, it's all nonsense, right? There is nothing to fear. And if you fill your own heart and your own consciousness with love, then as St. John says, Perfect love casts out all fear. And, and we need to, each of us, inculcate a consciousness of love. Hate no one, fear nothing, and do what is right. And follow the truth as you understand the truth. Now, none of us understand the truth perfectly. It doesn't matter. Just stop, as, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, stop going along with lies. Yeah. And he said... It, it, he said this in so many places, so many ways, but he said communism is a system of lies. All totalitarianism, yes, because as Matthias Desmond points out, it's based on an ideology. Totalitarianism is always based on an ideology, which, and he, I didn't mention this before, but he says the ideology becomes Ever, it starts out as something quasi-scientific and making a certain amount of sense to begin with. It yeah. becomes more ridiculous and nonsensical over time. And people, I think now more and more are realizing, hold it. What, what now we're going to not grow food to save the planet? Like mm -hmm. now we got to get a jab in our arm every three months to, to stay Like, hold it. This yeah. is becoming more and more nonsensical. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. So more and more people are catching on to this. And, and as more and more people do, we'll get more. So, um, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little no, bit. That's, that's good. Here, but, but yes, we, we can win. It begins yeah. with love yeah. and, and unity, understanding that, that, that other people, all these people, there's no reason to be afraid of people. <clears throat> we need to love everyone. We need to, to, to bring ourselves back to a state of personal responsibility and sovereignty, family responsibility and sovereignty, community responsibility and sovereignty, which means stop taking the $5 million handouts from the federal government. It's a bribe to, yeah. to coerce you and control yeah. you into do, to doing, to becoming yeah. their little minions. Yeah. Tell the feds to 
piss off. You don't want their money. We need to go back because communities all over the place. This has been part of the subversion of the past half century, right? Oh, we get this grant from the provincial government. Oh, we get this grant from the federal government. No, communities need to turn away from that. You need to fund your own community activities in your own community and stop thinking that you can turn to taxpayers in other parts of Canada or Alberta to build your community hall or, or, or put you know new jerseys on your sports team. No, that's your community. You raise the money in your community, do what you need to and let other communities take care of themselves. So, yeah, the, the, it's, the community sovereignty means that sort yeah. of thing, too. That's a hard that's a hard message to get through to people. Yeah. But we can and we will because we outnumber them so dramatically. And like I said, 100 million Englishmen cannot control 300 million Indians if the Indians refuse to cooperate. And, I, and their system, their system will collapse. Yeah, I almost wish that we did this last week only because I end up having to go into AMA uh, Alberta Motor Association or CAA, depending on which province you're in, uh, this past week and uh, and getting my new driver's license. And that's a whole other story in itself. But I, I know some of our followers will, will know my story last year with the convoy and trying to rent a car without a driver's license out there. But I ended up <laughs> getting, my, getting my driver's license. But my point with that is I stood in line for almost two hours at my local AMA and the reason is, is because I guess that was the deadline for people to sign up for their $600 grant. Do you know about that? Where? Uh, yeah, but I, I didn't think there was a deadline. Like if you apply anytime, you'll get the back one. Is that right? Okay. So, well, maybe that's what it is. But, but people were in line specifically to get the six times $100 each month. Right? Yeah. And of course... And I'm pretty sure we'll get some comments about that. People were saying, uh, you know, oh, well, I'll, I'll just, I have to sign up for a digital ID. Show me, show me where it is because that just makes my life so much easier. Yada, yada, yada. Had this episode come in, I would have said to people, you know what? It's a hundred dollars a month, right? Go out and pick bottles or do whatever you need to do for a hundred bucks and don't sell your soul for a hundred bucks. Because the last time we did this, People went out and actually got their jabs for a hundred dollars for what? Right? The same thing. So, anyways, that's my little bit of a, a rant. But what I wanted to also say is about the uh, uh, what's your what's your take on um, on uh, amnesty? And and I'm just going to kind of pre precursor it that a lot of people said said to me, you know what? I I don't like it. People people were yelling at me for doing this and and that, and I don't like it. And uh, they can go to hell and all that. But I will say, in their defense, they were brainwashed by the best of the brainwashers in terms of main mainstream media, right? Mm -hmm. And and though we woke up a little bit sooner than they did, and maybe a lot of them are still still don't understand exactly what's going on. I I think it would be good to at least acknowledge a bit of amnesty from uh, especially from our families. I've got, uh, I've got a, a brother that I'm, I'm sure him and I just would, uh, would do that, but we avoid the whole situation in talking about this. Right. And, and I'm sure a lot of families are doing exactly the same thing, but I think, you know, you pretty much have to look at it as in terms of um, uh, it, it's not a hundred percent their fault with the, the way that they're thinking. They were totally brainwashed in terms of uh, of 
uh, being told this is the way out. This is this is what you need to do. And um, and so now I'm kind of leaning, to, you know, when someone initially said to me, um, what do you think about amnesty? And I was like, to hell with that. I mean, look at what they did to us for the last couple of years. But now I have to say I'm getting a little softer and maybe it's my old age um, that I'm saying, OK, you know what? I won't give you a hundred percent leeway on this, but let's have a conversation because I think you have to hear it from our side as well. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, Terry, you bring up uh, several great things. Let, yeah. let me try to kind of uh, give my two bits worth one, yeah. one, one step at a time. So yeah. this digital ID, the hundred dollars a month, when I first heard about it, I thought, ah, yeah, no one will do it. I'm not going to apply. And I thought, well, why not? I mean, that's 600 bucks is 600 bucks. Why not apply? But then when I heard, oh, you have to sign up for the digital ID, I thought, oh, those bastards. Yeah. Yeah. That's see, this is what they always do, right? It's the carrot and the stick. Here's the yeah. carrot. Oh, we'll give you $600. Just sign up for the digital ID and then we'll track you everywhere you go for the rest of your life and make sure you're up to date. And then they're going to hook it into your digital, the digital money with the digital bank account. And then you'll do exactly. Well, what it'll be a say. government bank or account. For sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. So no. Um, so when I heard that, I thought, okay, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like 600 bucks isn't worth that much to me. No, no. Whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So people will be sucked in. Millions of people will be sucked into the digital identity this way. Um, mil tens of millions of people will be sucked into the digital currency because they'll get their government money only in the digital currency. That's right. Once they, once they make that switch, your, your CPP, your OAS, your welfare check, your whatever it is, your, 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 all of this, like, you know, whatever dozen number of, you know, professions and people who now get paid basically by the government, which yeah. teachers, university professors, nurses, doctors, uh, policemen, you know, yeah. ambulance drivers, fire motor, you're getting your money from the government. It's all going to be in digital care. Oh, we're going to go it this way. It's so much easier, so convenient. And yeah. tens of millions of Canadians will get sucked into that. And then they got you. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so yeah, uh, don't like find ways to get to set up parallel structures now so that you don't have to be caught in the digital currency and don't go for the digital ID, whatever yeah. they say, yeah. just don't yeah. go for it. Now, yeah. the question of amnesty, this is a good one because there's another article that just appeared in um, Newsweek, I think it was, allegedly written by yeah, a doctor, med student or something. And, you know, I read through it and I thought, oh, this is beautifully crafted propaganda. I don't believe a medical student wrote this. Mm. This this is all, oh, yes, it's time that we, you know, we in the medical community, in the scientific community, faced up to our failings. And, and you know, we, we it's saying, saying all the right things wow. Wow. And as if this was a mistake, right? Oh, yeah. it's all we made mistakes and we shouldn't have done this. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a psyop or it's it's part of the big psyop we're in. Yeah. These aren't mistakes. They're crimes. Yeah. Now, amnesty is a legal term. Mm -hmm. And that's applied to a crime. So when that article came out, that was like six months ago or something. And I think it was in the Atlantic. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Right. That was. 
that was another sorry up thing. Oh yeah. yeah, let's all just say sorry and be friends now and have amnesty. Yeah, they want amnesty for their crimes. And I say, no, no. Now, remember my my little mantra. Our strategy is love, our tactic is forgiveness, mm-hmm. and our weapon is nonviolent non-cooperation. So yes to forgiveness, but amnesty is something completely different. That's true. And yeah. it's 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 the same way. Now, we can understand this perfectly with our own children. You have children, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a teenager who does some stupid thing. All of us did stupid things as teenagers. It's part of growing up, of yeah. course, right? You do some stupid thing. Now, as a parent, okay, um, like may, maybe, uh, maybe it smashed up your dad's car. You are kind of racing with it, whatever, doing some stupid thing, smashed yeah. up your dad's car, right? Is your dad going to, like hold this against you forever yeah. when you're when when he's 90 and you're 60 he's still gonna say you <laughs> bastard you smashed up my 65 viewers i'm never gonna forget right of course not yeah. Yeah. but there's consequences for that action mm-hmm. okay you wrecked my car well um you got a part-time job <laughs> you're going to pay for what all the repairs or half the repairs or whatever, something. And you're not going to be able to drive the car, the family car for six months or whatever. Like there's consequences. Now I still love you. Yeah. Right. I, I forgive you, but there's still consequences for that action that you did. Yeah. Right. So the same thing it is with these people, they've committed crimes, but there's consequences for that. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's not right that they should escape the consequences of their actions. They need to face the consequences of the But now forgiveness, as I say in the book, most people don't understand this. Forgiveness is not a gift I give to someone else. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is a gift I give to myself. I don't, so I'll forgive Anthony Fauci and Teresa Tam. Yeah, fine, I forgive you. Uh, you should probably hang for your crimes, but I'm, I still forgive you. But but I'm I'm not going to be tied up for the rest of my life in blame and anger and hatred. I don't want that consciousness. Mm-hmm. I want to live in the consciousness of love all the time. Yeah. So I forgive you. That frees me. Mm-hmm. That doesn't free you. I get to be free because mm-hmm. I forgive. Forgiveness is a gift we give to ourselves. So, yes, I forgive. Now, within your family, this is, again, another, it's a, a little different situation. Now, if your family, because, hey, I had, I won't say who, in my family, that um, you can't come to Christmas dinner because yeah. you're not vaxxed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, and, and this kind of thing happened in all families. It did? Like, yeah. yeah, you know, I... I uh, like to go goose hunting with you, but you're not vaxxed. So, um, yeah, you can't join us. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Couldn't go goose hunting because I'm not vaxxed. So, um, yeah, this has happened in every family. So now how that th- this is what we really should call reconciliation. Yeah. Because your family member did not commit a crime by saying, you're not welcome at Christmas dinner or whatever they did. These aren't criminal actions, right? These are human failings. And and I try to make this clear at several points in the book. Human failings are not a crime. I mean, whatever, even if people who don't like Jordan Peterson and say, well, you know, that was maybe inappropriate, what you said on social media, or that was maybe mm-hmm. unkind or something. These aren't crimes. Yeah. 
You know, the things that people do and say on social media, hey, we're human. All of us are human. All of us have said and done stupid things and hurtful things, uh, you know, that we've later regretted, even if we didn't have the courage to say out loud, I regret saying that, I'm sorry. All of us have done that. These aren't crimes. There's no justification for, for throwing people, firing people from their jobs or taking away their license to practice their profession or, or you know, for, you know, something said in a moment of, of anger or thoughtlessness. No, there's no justification for that. But there needs to be reconciliation within all our families because this is part of our response to the fifth generation warfare. Mm-hmm. This is a, a this is all targeted fifth generation warfare. They have definitely intentionally tried to rip apart every family, every community, every nation. It's it's been very successful. Yeah. So part of our response to that aspect of the fifth generation warfare is to actively work at reconciliation within our families. Mm-hmm. And we need we need honest communication. We need love. We need forgiveness and all of those things. And yeah. you know what? I mean, I, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor, uh, you know, and, but maybe, hey, in your family, maybe bring in a counselor, maybe yeah. bring in. Uh, uh, there is such a thing as like family counseling, family, there's different names for it. I'm not even familiar with it all. But yeah. Maybe get the whole family in with somebody who can facilitate a reconciliation within the family. If people are willing to do that. I mean, people have to be willing. You can't force people to do that. So, yeah, we need the reconciliation within our families. This is part and forgiveness plays a part in that. And but and 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 part of forgiveness um, is is um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, there has to be an admission. Right. You, your kid smashes up the car. There yeah. has to be an, uh, uh, the, the kid has to be willing to an admit. Admission. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I did this. Yeah. Right. People have to take on responsibility for what they did. Yeah. Right. I did this. Yes. I was influenced by the mainstream media, by what other people said. But what how I acted is under my control. And mm-hmm. this is part of personal responsibility. Yeah. Nobody makes you do anything. That's it's all all this like victim consciousness stuff and the and the, and the cancel culture and the, all this stuff. Where you made me do this. You made me feel so. No, nobody makes you feel a certain way. Yeah. You are in you are in control of how you feel and how you react, and you can choose. Yes, somebody says something mean to us. Yeah, we have this instinctive angry response, but you get to choose whether you're going to hold on to that anger or whether you are going to consciously and intentionally replace the anger and the fear with love. We have the control of, you know, of choosing, even though we have instantaneous instinctive reactions, we yeah. get to choose over a longer time frame whether, you know, how we're going to respond. Mm-hmm. And we can choose love and that's empowering. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, kind of a, a lot of things there, but, you brought up so many things so uh, at one time. So yes to forgiveness, absolutely. Yes yeah. to reconciliation in our families. In our, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, but no, no to amnesty and no to, to amnesty to these people who, because I say, look, doctors and, oh, yes. and, yeah. and the stuff that, look, you knew. And if you didn't know, 
too bad for you because you have a fiduciary duty to know. I make this point very strongly in the yeah. book more than yeah. once. You're right. Okay, if, if you're, and, and for our listeners who don't know, a fiduciary duty is a duty that you have because you are in a position of trust. Because of your specialized knowledge and training or the position that you hold in society, people trust you to yeah. know what you're doing. So these, right. sco- these, these school board um, uh, members, you know, who forced, who passed and said, yeah, everybody in our, all the employees in our school district have to get vaxxed. Yeah. It's your, it was your job yeah. to know what you're doing. So you can't simply go back and say, oh, so sorry, I didn't know. Uh-uh. Yeah. Too bad. That's like a civil engineer who designs a bridge and the bridge later collapses and a bunch of people die. Like I've he can't simply knowledge. say, oh, my bad. So sorry. I made a mistake. Yeah. Gravity. Who would have thought of it? Yeah. 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 No, yeah. you have you are a civil engineer and engineers understand this completely. When they sign off on plans, they know that they are they have a fiduciary duty. They're yeah. committing themselves in law to saying yes. Yeah. This bridge will stand up. Yes, this pressure vessel will withstand the pressure that uh, that it's rated for. Yes, this, okay? So yeah. engineers understand that. Other professionals understand this also. So yeah. doctors who are injecting people and not treating people with appropriate treatments, it was your job to know. You are guilty. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I know there's been uh, people that are asking... Uh, who is Donald Lee? Because of course, you know, we're now we're now an hour and 38 minutes in. So Donald Lee is the author of What the Hell is Going On, which is the best <laughs> name of an and of a book and a webinar ever. And it's the book is actually called The What the Hell is Going On? The Web of Fraud That Is Enslaving Everyone and How We Can Escape to Freedom. So my little notes over here on how to get this book because Everyone needs a book. Everyone needs yeah. a book, and especially this one. So you can go to cominghomespirit.ca. Uh, dot, com. I, dot com. Dot com. Sorry. Yep. Uh, yes. Can I? Yeah. Yep. Up here. Cominghomespirit.com. I was hoping I could actually get a bigger version of that. but uh, and, uh, and, of course, it talks about uh, uh, Donald's book here, What the Hell is Going On? And... Um, it, uh, it also has, look, some, some people that we know and love yeah. and are yeah. making some comments about, about that. He was kind, kind enough to endorse the book. Yeah. 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 Um, and, of course, it's, there's a lot, lot of stuff in this, and it is, uh, it's, a, it's a good weekend read, if not uh, for, my, for my intelligence, a uh, uh, two-week read. <laughs> I should know. Well, it, it's yeah. it's not for that. It's it's because it it there are there are chapters in there where you definitely have to go back and read again, right? Because uh, there's a lot of lot of stuff to digest, and especially if you're not up to speed on what's been going on, uh, you may question, well, what are you, what are you talking about really? And then you got to go back and take a look at that. So that's yeah. uh, definitely, I think uh, everyone sh- everyone should have this. And you know, if they want to get a hold of you. Is that even on here? Uh, oh yeah, there's there, there's a there's a contact page there. There's a contact yeah. page up at the top yep. here. Oh yeah. Okay, contact. Yep. You can you can click send on that. A, send me an email. Yeah. And uh, you're also on well Donald Lee, the author at protonmail.com. 
Um, you're on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And um, so, what else do you what else do you do for that? Do you uh, do you do um, your own um, podcasts or, or blogs or what do you do? Did we lose him? <laughs> I think we may have lost him. He's he's on his phone and he may have tried to uh, access that and and not realize that when he changes his apps, of course, now his uh, where he was on with us is no longer in the front. My bad. I should have actually told him that. That's pretty funny. Uh, buy some copies and put them in a little. Hey, the little free libraries in your community. We have two. I'm in. Uh, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you where I am. Uh, but I'm in uh, Northwest Calgary, and you're right. I've got uh, two little libraries, and I think that's exactly what I'm going to do uh, and do that. I'm going to go back and uh, and look at some of these questions here while we wait for uh, Donald to maybe possibly come back. This is called Killing Time, in case you didn't know. Uh, but he will be coming back on uh, very, very shortly. Um, uh, again, if you do have some questions, put in uh, three question marks. And then uh, that way it will flag to me that there's a question. I probably should have said that right off the hop. My apologies. But uh, I'm just going through here looking for lots of statements, which are great. But Donald, how do we avoid the currency banking changes? Hmm. That is an interesting question. Um, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of, lot of changes, I think, that are going to end up happening in the next... At, in 2023, I think is the year of change, and I know people have asked me, like, what do you what do you uh, do with your money? Do you uh, do you change it into commodities and all that? I am not a financial wizard at all. Uh, you know, I I uh, made a little bit of money doing certain things, uh, all legal, and uh, but now I'm I'm struggling too in terms of what do I do? Do I buy uh, assets? Do I uh, do I change it into commodities? There he is. I'm just, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I I hear what you're doing. I'm I'm so sorry. The, oh, the not scene, a problem. I, no. I mean, for those of you for those of you who are watching, that my laptop wasn't uh, coming through very well, so they said, "Well, go go on your phone." So I went in the phone, and and now yeah. the phone just ah, died. Uh, died. Uh, that's so, okay. Thank thank you very much, Carrie, for um for directing people to my website. That's the best place. It's it's um. Uh, you can get it at all your favorite online bookstores. But if you just go to the, the homepage of my website, comminghomespirit.com, there's yeah. direct links. You can get it uh, directly from my publisher. That's the only place right at the moment to get the electronic version uh, okay. of the book if you want that right away. And, of course, it's a little cheaper. It's available yeah. at Amazon. Amazon Canada was charging way too much, but they brought the price down to okay. – they're only overcharging by five or six bucks now. I, I, they couldn't figure out the exchange rate, I guess, from U.S. dollars to Canadian dollars. I mean, it's – Wow. To buy it in the state, Amazon in the states, the price is twenty one ninety five US, which should work yeah. out to about thirty bucks or so in Canadian. Yeah, and I think yeah. Amazon Canada is now charging thirty five, but it's a little pricey. But you can get it from Barnes and Noble too, or any of your online bookstores. I also just wanted to kind of say one other thing because we have yeah. all kinds of people from the Alberta Prosperity Project here. Yes. I'd um, I'd I'd love to talk to any uh, Alberta Prosperity Project chapters if they uh, you know want to have would me come. Be a and, great and idea. Absolutely. Uh, from the book. I'm going to be, I'm in Southern BC, actually speaking to freedom groups here uh, right now. I'm going to be going to, to Winnipeg for the convoy event there in middle of February, but I'm, I'm planning to kind of spend a uh, sort of late March, early April time period in Al Alberta. So if anybody wants to contact me and we'll, we'll 
set up a time. I'll come and, and talk it in your community. Love to do that. That'd be great. We were, I was just trying to fill some time here. Ed, so going back and looking at some questions. So a question came up, uh, Donald, how do we avoid the currency banking changes? So I was just kind of explaining, uh, like, I don't even know if we actually can, you know, do you pull your money out of a, of a, uh, the, the big five banks and do you move it into a uh, credit union or do you just try to, maybe if we're going to lose money, we might as well just put the money under a pillow. Like, uh, like I, that's, that's, I am not the person to be asking that. Uh, and even as an, uh, an economist, I'm not even sure, uh, you know, you're not a financial planner, so I'm not even sure if you want to even <laughs> answer. Yeah, well, we're, yeah, I'm, I, 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 I'm not a financial planner. Uh, don't look to me for financial advice. I've lost more money than I've made in, yeah. in investments yeah. over no time. Uh, at least it may, yeah, maybe it's almost even, but whatever. I, yeah. I'm not a great finan financial person, but um, in, in as an economist, I mean, if we look at this in, in uh, terms of economies and currencies throughout history, um, we are going through um, something that has never quite happened historically this way because there's never been a digital currency obviously before yeah, yeah. and and they're going to go it's going to be a one world digital digital currency one way or another essentially all of the central banks in the world are working on uh, developing a digital currency and some have rolled it out already the united states the federal reserve bank of new york has been uh is beta testing it right now and the United States, China has theirs out. Uh, Sweden brought theirs out over a year ago, etc. Various other countries. So it, it's coming. Uh, the Bank for International Settlements has got uh, at least two systems that they've beta tested for doing transactions between digital currencies of different countries. Uh, it's it's coming. So I think what will happen is will is that when these digital currencies start to come into play it seems to me we're likely to have a real split in the mm -hmm. economy uh, between those who who go with and are captured in the digital system it's mm -hmm. it's going to be a slave system um and those who say uh, uh not for me we got to figure out something else and yeah. so what will we use we need some medium of exchange um barter is only effective on a very limited scale but some of that has always been used yeah. um is still today but but it's, it's very limited, very economically inefficient. So I suggest that people keep um, what we would normally think of as a fairly large amount of, of cash, of currency uh, at home or somewhere that's in your personal possession, not in a safety deposit box at the bank. It's, it's a, anything in the bank is essentially the bank's property. And they can, as we found out a year ago at the convoy, they can simply turn it off, <laughs> turn you off and say, you don't have access to it. It's, it's not yours anymore. And yeah. I think that definitely will happen. So, you know, I would say, you know, a thousand, ten thousand dollars in cash, whatever. Um, it'd be a good idea to have like a month's worth of expenses in cash. A lot of it, small denomination. Uh, I think depending on how much uh, liquid assets you have, keep some uh, or keep some or get some silver and, and or gold coins or or bars i mean silver is more practical for you know smaller transactions because it's yeah. currently selling for i don't know between 35 and 40 dollars canadian i think its price will go up dramatically when people start using it yeah. uh, as the currency um but i mean if you want to buy a car or a house or something um you know you, you have to take a 
a truckload of silver coins. So, you know, yeah, and if you get, yeah. if you get over, over say $10,000, then you want to have some of that in gold coins. But as Catherine Austin Fitz, I think very accurately points out, we need, we need a currency that we can use that's outside of government control that is both physical and digital. Yeah. And I'm not sure how the, the digital component will work. Um, I thought that we might be able to use um, uh, digital currencies like Monero or Cardano, which are designed for that. But I don't know. It look it presently looks like the government authorities are in the process of completely destroying independent digital currencies in wow. preparation for bringing up. I mean, you know, the like the like F, the FTX. It, it immediately appeared that this was this was a complete scam and set up a fraud yeah. right from the start. Yeah. It was it was more a money laundering machine. Yeah. And, you know, when I never paid any attention to it before, I didn't even know what it was until it collapsed. Yeah. But, you know, you have this guy, they did a bunch of college kids, really, you know, bank, uh, you know, Bankman Freed, Bankman Fraud, as he's now nicknamed. Uh, running this thing and his girlfriend who looks like she's 12 years old and I saw you know who ran the whole multi-billion dollar um, what was the uh, the kind of investment branch of the company whatever yeah. and she sounds like she's 12 years old but I mean I was saw one clip of her being interviewed and she was the president of the this investment fund firm whatever with yeah. billions of dollars and she said oh well you know you know, I, I don't really think much about risk management. You know, I don't like what? <laughs> like she, she looked really. She looked like she was twelve or fifteen years old, and that's why she taught it. You know, you got billions of dollars under management. You don't really think about risk management. Yeah, it <laughs> like, sounds like, yeah something our prime minister would say, and uh, yeah. and basically say, well, it'll all work out. It'll all, yeah. I'm I'm not much of an economist, but I'll, I'll it'll all work out. No. Yeah. So, um, but, but but material things. Right, yeah. real things. Uh, yeah. If you own property, but not if you have debt, because if you like try to get out of debt, yeah. if you have financial assets and debts, try to get rid of the debts. Yeah. I, I mean, I have very little of anything, so um, I don't have any money per se. Banks, I just have money. Yeah. The money that goes through there every month. I only yeah. have debts at banks. So I mean, if they cancel my banking, great. <laughs> Keep the debt, man. <laughs> Yeah, you're so, right. Yeah, and, but and for people it's, it's, for people who have a lot, then yeah. it becomes much more difficult. I have it's, almost nothing, so it's easy to say, you know, just just get rid of your debt. But it, a lot of people they they just can't do that. So um, somebody asked, uh, many many places are not accepting cash now. Yeah, like uh, like Starbucks. Uh, so I'm not going don't to Starbucks. So then that that's easy to do in theory is just don't support the the businesses that are doing that, and. Um, and and honestly, they even if you walk in there and you, you say, "Well, I'm I'm going to pay you cash," the, it's totally up to them to decide whether or not they they want to accept cash or not. So you can't be saying, "Well, no, our money is legal tender everywhere." No, like if that's their policy, then that's okay, right? Like there's like even in my own business, like when I uh, I rent out equipment too, I rent out uh, sound systems and jukeboxes and arcade games and all that. And, and just because of the, the nature of the business, the transaction's easier if it's done through some electronic way, right? Uh, credit card or something like that. 
because not normal, you know, I'm going to drop off a bunch of equipment and uh, are you going to be able to give me a couple of grand in cash? Like that never happens, right? But it is a situation where um, for smaller transactions, by all means, uh, I think the only other thing I really pay for by credit card, if, is uh, is gas, just because it's convenient. Again, getting into the whole convenient thing. Yeah. Uh, because then you just, you pay for your gas and you drive away. But maybe the little inconvenience of actually driving in there and giving a hundred bucks and then going out, pumping your gas, and then going back in. Yeah. That yeah. might I've actually started, be- I, I've started to do that quite often. Yeah. You know, yeah. instead of instead of just, I, I go into the little store thing and then say, hey, 50, here's, give me $50 worth yeah. of regular and pump number yeah. three or 60 or here in BC, it's, yeah, it's more like 80 or 100 to fill up your tank because gas prices are higher in BC. But yeah, use use cash as much as we, we can also write checks. People have forgotten that we can still do that. That is true. Yeah, you can write checks. I mean, you write checks for $10,000. I can't imagine going into, into Safeway right now and saying, can I pay by check? I'm not even sure if they would do that. Or well, they, it might be the only check. Yeah. But yeah. the, the, you, you also raised, a, um, I think, a, a worthwhile point that maybe we should clarify. And, and I, I'm not sure I have the story completely correct either, but yeah. it still says on our money, this note is legal tender. Legal tender, yeah. Right? You know, it's funny. When, when you go back to the 60s, when I was young, the, the money said, we'll pay to the bearer on demand. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, I remember we started that. out yeah. as yeah. literally as demand notes. And yeah. the, the note itself was not money but it could be exchanged for money and you know going back to when money was gold yeah and gold was money when you have a gold standard money is gold and gold is money but we've lost that so then they took that off there and then it said this note is legal tender well under law traditionally (laughs) it used to be that if you submit a legal tender must be accepted in payment of debts and if it's not accepted then the debt is extinguished so if I offer to pay you cash and you refuse to accept it, okay, I don't owe you anything then. Walk out with your groceries. But that's not the case anymore. No, no, no. They no. don't have, nobody has to accept uh, bills and coins. Yeah. So, but deal with people who will. Yeah. Which right. means the local deals, deals with uh, small businesses rather than big ones and yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to avoid Walmart. I'm not being very successful, but eh, gradually. But I yeah, think that, the day will the day will come when it'll be one or the other. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and really, the big the big box stores are going to end up extinguishing the little guys because they have such the buying power. Um, and and good luck. I I really hope good luck to uh, the mom and pop stores that you know like like we're just talking about coffee, right? Timmy's, you know, how much is a coffee now? Two bucks for a larger. I don't even know, actually, but let's just say it's two bucks for a large. What does it really cost for that? And and et cetera, et cetera. Versus, and that that goes to, you know, the corporate head office. It goes to all these things. But the Ma and Pa, it goes to Ma and Pa. And it goes to their kids. And it goes to them living. And it goes to yeah. the money being spent in yeah. the neighborhood. And that's another thing we... I, we're right off topic here just in terms of economics, but you know, I've, I've seen the analogy and I'm sure many of our viewers have too, about the, the $50, you know, you give $50 to a, a goes and pays their debt and, and B, C, D. But if it's a digital system, well, that 50 bucks minus the bank fees, dollar 50 now becomes 48 50 and it continues around the line. 
So someone is making money. And guess what? It's not the people that you're paying to. It's the banks. It's the and banks. that's not it's the, the large that's financial institutions. Yeah. Yeah. So so hopefully we don't have any people that work at banks watching. Well, you, you know <laughs> Well, yeah, if you if you work at a bank right now, start looking yeah. for another career because <clears throat> like the whole idea about digital concern and in, in my chapter on the on the on the, the currency stuff, I, I talk about this like this began in in August of 20, uh, 29, yeah, August of 2019 at yeah. the Jackson Hole meeting of central bankers where BlackRock presented their plan that they, yeah. that's called the going direct plan. And I explained in the book, I won't get into the details of it now. We've already talked a long time, but that the going direct is that central banks are going to go direct to consumers. The whole retail banking industry will basically be eliminated with digital currency. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. There's no need for it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you're right. Because even even for me, like, when, when's the only time you actually go in? Well, you, you have something really important, like maybe it's I need a bank draft because I'm buying a car or whatever. Or for me, because I deal in coin, I actually have to go in physically and give coin, which is ridiculous yeah. because the people that actually take the coin don't even know how to count it anymore, believe it or not. They don't know that quarters are usually wrapped in, you know, uh, in basically <laughs> – 10 times that. So it's a hundred dollars, right? They don't know that. And then they end up counting. Oh my God. It's just, it's ridiculous what, uh, what they're not teaching people that are going into the banks. Anyway. But so see, when, yeah. when, when the, when the digital currencies come in, like they don't have to do that. Yeah. The the, the, they'll, they'll ultimately there will be no coins. There will be no bills. So, so keep a bunch of those for small transactions amongst your, in your own community where, you know, people are going to start developing. Like when, when I was, I mean, I, we moved out of Peace River last fall, but in Peace River, you know, when I, I started a freedom group there and one of the, the things we did that's still going on is we started a food co-op and um, yeah. uh, a lot of that was brought in, but we also, you know, um, you know, reached out to local farmers and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, w- people will be doing that sort of thing in our community. We'll be setting up food co-ops where, we source, you know, um, whatever, like we, you know, local farm will bring in, uh, you know, 200 pounds of potatoes and a bunch of volunteers will split them up into bags. And, you know, yeah. you wanted 10 pounds, you wanted five pounds this week, whatever. And, uh, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, I think we'll be doing this in our communities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just going to go back and, and ask you just a couple of quick questions. It is nine o'clock. Um, this should have only been an hour, <laughs> but we said last, we said that last night when we were talking, it's like, oh yeah, we'll be, we'll be talking more than uh, an hour. Uh, it, 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 it was, it was your responsibility to cut I it off. No responsibility whatsoever. I'll, um, I'll talk all night if you want. <laughs> Uh, question, uh, is it safe to put, uh, deposit money into credit unions versus the banks? We briefly touched on that. I mean, they're probably the lesser of the two evils, and you know, that's another whole discussion of uh, voting and all that is what do you, what do you want to do? The lesser of two evils, but, uh, uh, <laughs> change, putting stuff in commodities and, uh, and, and doing that, uh, that might be the better thing. But I mean, for now, because you know we've we've got our utilities that are tied to uh, to to our bank accounts. We've got uh, maybe your credit card is and all that. Yeah, I mean 
honest, if you can, and and it's difficult to say what everyone's uh, fortune is, uh, but enable if you're able to just keep the amount of money in the bank that you actually need, like on a, even on a monthly basis, because that's a, that's another way that I kind of did what I was doing, you know, even 10 years ago is if I knew my expenses were a thousand bucks, I would only keep a thousand bucks in the bank mm -hmm. government and everybody else doesn't need to know how much I, I actually have in total. Yeah. That's all I need to do in terms of the bank. So yeah. that's a little bit of a, a, a trick, I guess, if, uh, yeah. if that kind of helps. Um, the, 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 I've heard the credit union idea mentioned many times they'll probably be less likely to freeze your accounts like the big banks did a year ago, yeah. uh, you know, because it's local and probably, That's you true. know, the yeah. local manager, but if you don't, you should, right. Go meet him or her and, yeah. you know, make sure you've established this bit of a relationship there. Um, that's the benefit of the small credit union and dealing locally. But, you know, when when they ultimately and it, it'll be creeping, it'll be creeping just like the the hundred dollar a month incentive to get the digital ID. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It will be creeping. It'll be gradual. You'll hardly notice it. They'll yeah. just be at some. It's like boiling a frog. The old story. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'll exactly. hardly notice it's happening. So. Um, and but ultimately, they will control all financial institutions. Yeah. There's yeah, yeah there's, there's no way around. The, the the goal is complete control of money. So no small financial institutions will yeah. escape. The yeah. only escape will be into some sort of a parallel structure. Yeah. And yeah. as actually I was having this exact conversation yesterday with a, a leader of the Freedom Group here in Penticton, and you know I think we'll we'll get to we'll get into for a while that the uh, complete sort of collapse of the of financial intermediation, which is what banks is, uh -huh. um, within kind of our, our our black market communities, whatever we're gonna call them. Yeah. And, you know, if people need a loan, then somebody like, I'll go to, oh, I, I know Carrie's got kind of a lot of money. I'll go and ask him for a loan. So it will be, <laughs> it will be, it will be people who, who have money yeah. lending it directly to people who they're willing to lend to, yeah. right? And but there but then, won't be there won't be a financial intermediary, right? There won't yeah. be a bank, so it won't be like yeah. now we we deposit our excess money in the bank, and the bank takes some of that excess money and lends it out to somebody who wants a loan. But That's the true. financial intermediation, I think, will cease to exist for at least a short time until yeah. our local smaller communities are able to uh, essentially set up a. Uh, a, a credit union within the community. And, and it's pretty easy. I mean, yeah. when I first started working for Sherrod, we had a Sherrod credit union, mm. just a company credit union, you know? Actually, that I, I one of my first jobs was working for Safeway a long time ago, and we had the Safeway credit union, which probably mm. still exists it's at some point in Manitoba. Uh, but that's basically, yeah, like all, the, all our checks would go directly into the Safeway credit union. I don't think we had a choice. They automatically went in there. Because then I ended up going to one of the big five banks that I'm not going to be part of anymore, and um, and that's kind of you know how the flow of money worked from there, yeah. and um, and maybe that's just you know back in the day maybe that was a good thing to have done. I'm not even sure. Yeah, um, yeah it, it it can be very small scale, and I I yeah. think those of us in in the freedom parallel structure community will end up with some very small scale financial intermediation. Uh, yeah. you know, networks like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with that, I, I'm going to, I'm really going to try and wrap this up. 
<laughs> we are uh, thank, over two hours. Thank you, everyone who's listening for your patience. Thank you so I, much. Oh, there can't be anybody that's watched this from the beginning. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, again, thank you so much for Donald, uh, Donald for coming on and, again, promoting the book. Uh, and I'm just going to scroll back because I've got my notes right in front of me here. And, uh, of course, the book is called What the Hell is Going On? The web of fraud that's enslaving everyone and how we can escape to freedom and uh and you can go to uh coming home coming home spirit.com and get your copy there uh next week we are actually doing another webinar because we do these every wednesday and uh next week it, i'm sure donald will even uh, want to watch this one as well because uh next week's seminar is called the disaster of medical assistance in dying a provincial path forward and our special guest is gordon friesen he's the president of the euthanasia prevention coalition so we've heard a lot about uh, this made uh stuff here in canada and we all have our own personal take on it and uh, i i'm hoping that next week we'll be able to uh to talk uh, a lot about this and, uh, and and answer a lot of questions to that too so that's good and, actually, uh, actually i actually touched on that in my book too and oh, it, it ties in it ties in with, with one of my conclusions that i said yeah. at the beginning and at the end you know what yeah. we need to to raise ourselves to a higher level of consciousness i touched on that with responding in yeah. love but we we also need to rise to raise ourselves to a new way of solving problems and yeah. and one of the fundamental principles i think is we must reject killing as an acceptable solution to problems absolutely like yeah, that's that's a hundred percent my feel, and uh, you know, and and I maybe it's because I'm not in uh, the situation where I've got a family member or a friend that uh, is is basically in such rough shape that that is their only option. Uh, but even with that, I mean, I'm I'm still spiritual and say, you know, how can I help? What can we do to do that? And you know, there, uh, uh, I think it was Simmons, uh, the department store that uh, that. Uh, had that um, commercial that talked about made, and I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. And um, and the they basically had this this woman, and uh, you know her 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 she was going through such a tough time and pain, and this was her only option. So she was given a week, and they filmed her, and she did everything that they they you know she wanted to do, and and in the end, obviously, you know how it ends. And um, and Simmons got such a backlash over that. And again, it's it's one of those that I would like to have the discussion with the people that we're doing the marketing and saying, what the hell is going on? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and killing. See killing yeah. Terry, I would say killing is never the only yeah. option. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and. I have to do my the, the quick promotion here uh, for uh, Alberta Prosperity Project. Uh, we do memberships. We now have over 10,000 members, which is awesome. We're on our way to a million. You know, if we can get a few hundred thousand, we would definitely be able to uh, to uh, promote and steer government, uh, especially in Alberta. And um, and and, you know, it's it's even happened already. Right, we're we are making changes. We're making uh, making things happen. So, kudos to everybody that's a member. And uh, we have uh, one year memberships are twenty dollars, two years are thirty, three years are forty, and we actually have a student uh, twenty one and under 
$20 for three years. See, I didn't even know that until I just read it. So great, great job there. Uh, and you can go to the albertaprosperityproject.com or you can email us at contact at albertaprosperity.com and we will hook you up even if you want to just pay cash. So nothing has to be this whole online crap. <laughs> so with that, thank you very much, Donald. Uh, great, great talking to you. I'm, I'm hoping we'll uh, we'll see you at an APP chapter event very soon, uh, or at least wow. you know in the next next couple of months for sure. We'll uh, we'll get you hooked up, and uh, I know we do chapter events um, Thursdays. Well. Depending on the location, too. I know there's there's a lot of them that are specifically on Thursdays, so that's good. And with that, uh, I will wish all of our viewers a wonderful rest of your evening, even though it's uh, it's past my bedtime. And we'll hope to see you in an event or online again very soon. Take care. God bless. And good night, everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much. God bless all of you. Thank you. Thank you.